What's up, everybody? It's Jeff Black Extreme, and we are back at it again with another episode of the Zone Podcast. With me today, we have Cookie Guts. How are you doing today, sir? Living life, living the dream. Awesome, excellent. And also with us today is Talos Gundam. How are you doing today, sir? What's good, everybody? This is that friendly neighborhood admin, as always. I'm good. I'm I'm gracious to be here. You know. <sighs> Y'all don't love me, do you? Y'all, y'all this. Y'all, I, hey, I, I hey. keep saying this. Every time I come in here, I've said this. Y'all don't love me. Y'all don't visit me. Why you don't visit your Uncle Talos, huh? Come to the Mecca about? Zone. Oh, come to the Mecca yeah, Zone. I need, y'all, I need y'all to come through. Just just come through. Like, I know. We 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 we, we our own little niche and everything. Else. But I keep telling y'all, we got snacks. <laughs> I literally went through and supplied snacks for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so come through, come through, bro. All jokes side, you I look, know what I'm saying? Come through. I just paid a visit. I just paid a visit like yesterday. Found about new Transformers, new Transformers comic that I didn't even know about. Apparently, it's already been going, but like part two been coming out, man. <laughs> so you know, I'm with you. <laughs> you know what's funny about all this? Like I just put a record seven on the list for uh, things to talk about, and that would. Uh, be related to the Mecha Zone. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, check out the Mecha Zone in your free time on Facebook where we talk about Transformers, Mobile Suit Gundam, Zoys, Voltron, Power Rangers, because you know Megazords. Uh, just check it out. Come on. But we will get to Mecha-related stuff at another time. This is the time to where we continue the Assassin's Creed Extreme review with the Kenway Saga. Now, I know it's going to be kind of jumping around because I believe Rogue came after Unity. But since it is part of the Kenway Saga, I figure, and, you know, like we probably just have to jump around just to make it relevant. But it will be Assassin's Creed 3, Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag, Assassin's Creed Liberation, and Assassin's Creed Rogue, and also honorable mention to Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry, where Edward Kenway's uh, first mate, Adewale, uh, has his run. And there's also Assassin's Creed Pirates, to where there's this one captain named Captain Alonso Batilla, who was neither Assassin nor Templar, but he was in the mix during um, Black Flag. And one more thing, I forgot to mention this in the last part, but there's Assassin's Creed Identity, to where you're essentially just a customizable um, assassin that I want to say one of those assassins that actually helps um, SEO, but not like directly related. But I imagine um, that being the case, putting two to the, together based on the relevance. But yeah, uh, I might talk about um, Freedom Cry a little bit maybe at the end, but it's not going to be the main focus. But let's start with Assassin's Creed 3 with our boy Connor Kenway. Uh, starting with Kokugasu, you got any thoughts on man? <sighs> Look, if I break, I might break a little bit into the story. So if y'all forgive me on this one, okay? But this is this is Not relevant to how I'm feeling, okay? <clears throat> this is relevant. So we, we talked about Kingdom Hearts two. <laughs> Uh-huh. About the opening sequence with Roxas. And you know, the, uh-huh. the, our first introduction to Roxas, it wasn't our favorite, but then l- later on, he became my overall 
bad boy that we all just fucking love. But Assassin's Creed 3 start off the exact same damn way. So forgive me. I'm going to go ahead and jump into a spoiler into the story if you hadn't already read, hadn't already played it. So I am sorry, but I got to say this. <laughs> the very beginning, it feels as if you're becoming a new assassin recruit. You're following Mr. Kenway and you're like, oh, man, he's teaching me how to be an assassin, teaching me how to climb and sneak around and do shit and you're like oh man this is about to be it this is about to be legit and i'm like okay so you were going through this you're going through this then it hits you with the biggest motherfucking low ball that you ever expected you sit here you're playing you're playing you're playing and congratulations you are now a templar and i said hold the fuck up <laughs> hold the fuck up <laughs> i am not nor have I ever been a motherfucking Templar. I support freedom. I support people's belief in their own rights and freedom. What the fuck you talking about? And then come to find out that really you're playing, you started off playing as an assassin turned Templar. And you're like, no motherfuckers, y'all didn't. I'm about to have to kill this motherfucker, ain't I? Then, a little while later, you find out that he had relations. Well, <clears throat> say relations, pretty much raped anyway. Uh, a Native American woman. And I love Assassin's Creed 3 when it first announced because this was my excitement. Because I am part Cherokee Native American. Unfortunately, I am not part of the tribe. However, I do still have Cherokee blood running through my veins. So, when it told me that you was going to be playing... As a Native American, I was like, nigga, sign me up. I'm ready. I am down with this shit. I am ready. So when you finally got the chance to play with old boy, I was like, yes. Now the story, eh, eh, it was okay. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> but just the, the but the gameplay itself was amazing to me you know it was one of those ones that i was excited i was scared that it was going to be very 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 different from assassin's creed 2 but i love everything they incorporated into this one this is still not my favorite right but it is definitely still one of the top games at least for me in assassin's creed chronicles because and i'm not yeah. talking about assassin's creed chronicles as the specific game talking about in general, yeah. but yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's my little that's my little bit before we break down into it. Gotcha. And tell us any thoughts on Assassin's Creed Three before I roll into the story. Uh, uh, nope. You go right on ahead. Go on ahead and roll <laughs> in. I'm saving all of my justice for a certain one. You shall oh, know soon enough. Oh Lord, we ready? Okay. <laughs> All right, so ladies and gentlemen, if you have listened to part two of the Assassin's Creed Extreme Review, you should know by now that by the end of Assassin's Creed Revelations that Desmond, William, Rebecca, and Sean were traveling to the Grand Civil of the First Civilization in a cave in New York and trying to access it using the Apple Eden. Uh, then, as Juno begins to communicate with Desmond, he enters the animus and deal with this this social fugue, where basically 
Juno's influence caused him to experience the memories of his ancestor. Oh, I hate this guy. I hate this guy. I hate this guy. Haytham Kenway. Uh, in 1754, Haytham assassinates a patron of the Royal Opera House and steals a piece of Eden in his possession and instructed by his order, which is later revealed to be the Templars. He finds the temple. They believe it opened. And Haytham travels to the American colonies and recruits some allies to help with his expedition. And as they free a group of Mohawk slaves, one of them, uh, excuse me, I'm going to have to struggle with her name, uh, Connie, oh, God, I'm calling Connie, fuck it, <laughs> because that's going to be hard. I, bro, I fucking struggle with uh, Montegrigioni. Name in the last part about I'm just nicknaming these people because god damn it. Like, anyways, Connie and Liz Hate Oh my god, I'm thinking Connie from King of Hill now. <laughs> uh, Connie uh, and Liz Hate help in killing Edward Braddock and before taking him to the Grand Temple. And Haytham was unable to access it and assumed that the key was ineffective. But deducing that the key was meant for the temple's inner chambers, Desmond relived the memory of Katham's son, who his Indian name was Ratanana Katon. Like, I'm butchering these names, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, And to find it. So in 1760, Connie dies during an attack on their village. Uh, Ratan assumes was ordered by the Templar uh, Charles Lee in 1769 the village elder informs Raton that it is their tribe's duty to prevent Temple's uh, discovery and gives him a spear which allows Juno to communicate with them. Now Juno leads Raton to the retired assassin's Achilles Davenport whose brotherhood collapsed years ago and he reluctantly agrees to train him and at Achilles' suggestion, uh, Rotan renames himself Connor to move more freely through the colonies. So yeah, like you can't have that Indian name while you're in these colonies, brother. We gonna you gonna get killed. So it's like yeah, you know, let's um, Americanize his name. Like let me think. Uh, we will call you Connor. Well, I would call myself Connor. My bad. I th- I forgot he renamed himself that. But I was like, you know what? Let me just think of a what's the most American name I could think of at this time? Connor? Okay, let's go with Connor. <laughs> so, over the years, Connor is drawn to the American Revolution and the Revolutionary War as he attempts to protect his people's land and keep the revolution free for, of the Templars' influence. And once again, this is one of those things where if you go into social studies class, and you're like, how do you know so much about the American Revolution and the Revolutionary War? Oh, I'll play Assassin's Creed 3. <laughs> but after assassinating most of Haytham's lieutenants, Connor meets his father. The two work together to eliminate a rogue Templar. Later, Haytham discovers George Washington's plan to displace indigenous populations suspected of supporting the Loyalists, including Connor's tribe. You kind of find out later uh, where there's this moment with the tyranny of um, King Washington, where he's like basically an alternate timeline of what, what, what went down. But it's like 
almost imagine like what if George Washington was a bad guy? Like, I mean, I know with the shades of gray of our uh, history, like you may never know what a person could be like behind closed doors. But it's like almost imagine if Washington was like this bad guy, I guess. But uh, anyways, uh, where was I uh, with this note? Shit. There we go. After assassinating most of Hathorne's lieutenants, Connor meets his father. Okay, I already said that. Uh, Discovers George Washington's plan. Okay, I said that too. My bad. Um, (laughs) Hathorne also reveals that Washington ordered the attack that killed Connie, causing Connor to angrily break ties with both of them. And returning to his village, Connor learns Lee recruited Mohawk warriors to turn back the Patriots sent to eradicate them. And Connor neutralized the warrior to avoid conflict. Now, jumping back to the present time, Desmond retrieves batteries to activate the temple while he's being hunted down by this Templar, Daniel Cross. After William is captured by Abstergo while trying to recover the final battery, Desmond rescued him, killing Cross and Warden Vidic at the same time in the process. Well, not at the exact same time, but, you know, two people while doing all that shit. Uh, then we go back to Connor's side of the story, where he become conflicted about eliminating the Templars and hope to work with Hatham in order to achieve peace and freedom. However, Hatham decides he, the necessity to control the nation by replacing Washington with Lee. And I was like, ah, no. Lee is disgraced by Washington for attempting to sabotage the outcome of the Battle of Monmouth and takes refuge in Fort George. Connor infiltrates the fort finds Haytham instead, and forced to kill him. Connor eventually assassinates Lee, retrieves the key given to him by Haytham. Returning back to the village, Connor finds it abandoned and the fear was left behind. Instructed by Juno to conceal the key, Connor buries it in the grave of Achilles' son, Connor Davenport. Hmm. Odd coincidence. But anyways, Desmond retrieves the key and assesses the temple's inner chambers. June reveals that he can save the world at the cost of his own life. Minerva appears, opposing the plan as it will free Juno, who was sealed in the temple to prevent her from conquering humanity. So we pretty much know that this is one of those forerunners that really wants to like be all evil with the world domination shit. But Juno explains that if the solar flare occurs, Desmond will become a messiah-like figure to other survivors, and they will revere him as a god after his death but will have his legacy manipulated to control future generations. So Desmond chooses to sacrifice himself to save humanity and give them the opportunity to fight Juno. And in the epilogue scene set in 1783, details the end of Connor's journey, where despite eliminating the colonial Templars and helping the Americans achieve independence, Connor feels that he failed his people who are still being oppressed their former land is being sold to colonists to settle the U.S. government's war debts, and the slave trade is still active. And jumping back to the present once again, a voiceover directs the player to locate several pivot points across the virtual representation of colonial America. Once collected, the voiceover informs them that they have connected to the cloud. Now, now that I got through the story, tell us. Back to you. How you feeling? I mean, 
let, let's let's be honest here. All right, let, let's, let's really be honest here. And I'm, I, I can say I'm an avid Assassin's Creed fan. I'm I really am. But let's let's be honest here. When you think of three, when you when you mm-hmm. think of three, and you gotta be real, when you think of three, what what did you think of? Like like being truthful, being truthful, because we all had that favorite. We all have our favorite one, and I can tell you now, three was not my three was not my favorite. Yes, I played it. Yes, I enjoyed it, but three was not that favorite. But when you think of three, what what you think about? Be be honest with me here. What 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 you think about? Truthfully, ah, uh, honestly, I feel like I blur through the game. It's like on one <laughs> hand, like here's the thing. Here's the thing. The the one thing that really stuck <laughs> to me was that the realization Connor made during the end, to where pretty much being the path of a good person. It's not easy, but it's the path worth taking. Like, yes, like he's going to make some sacrifices. There, He's going to take some L's. But as long as he keeps his integrity, at least he can die knowing that he was a solid dude until the end and stuck to his guns. But unfortunately, he had to uh, face the realization with the shades of gray that I mentioned that sometimes you can't have both. Sometimes you have to uh, do the right thing at the cost of um, getting what you want sometimes. But yeah, the whole thing with uh, the last part where essentially the slave trade, his former land being sold to colonials, colonists, excuse me. Like he did all of that. And in the end, he still feels that he failed his people. And I kind of feel that it's like sometimes it's tough, but like I said, at least you have your integrity. But um, other than that, true, it's kind of I kind of blazed through the game. Like uh, I was just kind of going through the motions, not really being attached to the characters like that. Like the only, honestly, like I kind of mentioned briefly in the part of um, excuse me, trying to tell the story. The only person who really stuck out to me in that whole game was Haytham. And that's only because of how much I dislike this dude. Because it's one thing that you pretty much, uh, Connor is pretty much um, a product of, you know, a native woman being raped. But and at the same time, it's like, dude, this dude's just a dick. Like, he's a total dick. Like, I don't remember everything you said, but it's almost like everything you say makes me angrier and angrier. But that's pretty much how I felt about Assassin's Creed 3 in a nutshell. Other than that, I was like, eh, it was a thing. Honestly, (laughs) I'm uh, real (laughs) real with you. Like, I felt the same. I kind of felt somewhat the same as far as how I played the game. Like, I blurred through it. Like, for the most part, when I was playing it, it really didn't seem like, you know, this one really, w- I, I'm going to say this one really stuck with me. It's just like, okay, hey, yeah, the game was good. Not nah, even been the front you, the game was straight, but uh, it didn't stick with me like some of the other ones did. Yeah, it didn't stick with me like some of the other ones did. And I'm not even going to front you. Like, Black Flag stuck with me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Syndicate yes. stuck yes. with me. Like, mm. you know what I'm saying? The, like, I have those that, res- you know, resonated with me and such, but like, three wasn't it for me. 
all right, but that's just it, though. It was almost like, uh, yeah, he was the thing. That's all it was. Look, I mean, that's what I had mentioned like when I had talked the first time. I said I was going to spoil the story a little bit in that aspect and the fact that the story was okay. <laughs> like, yeah. this is the, the biggest part about the story, and like it's exactly like how Jet Black mentioned, you absolutely hate <laughs> Kenway, and you're just like, you, you don't like this guy, so you're ready to go ahead and beat him. Like, you're just ready to do this shit. Like, you, you watch the very beginning, you play with these two guys, and then you, the only enjoyment you get is not is killing the both of them. And you're like, ha, ah, I finally succeeded. I killed the both of them. <laughs> um, and then, like, the shock value at the beginning, you're like, oh, no, this wasn't a set. I was playing with a Templar. Oh, my God. Other than that, that whole... Yeah, like, you feel so dirty when you, when I did that shit. I was like, okay, I'm playing as this assassin named Hazel. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Fine, now he's a Templar. What the fuck? Okay, I need to, like, scrub myself with, like, some soap and shit. I like, just wash it off. <laughs> wash it off. But then it's like, but from that middle point, the whole point from that very beginning shock value to you finally killed your dad and killed, I guess you could say your uncle or his his friend or whatever. Shit, I don't know. Yeah, um, poor uncle. But like, so you congratulate. So from the point from there to when you killed them, you're like, oh, wait, I, I'm here. Like I said, I mean, the gameplay itself is enjoyable. Like being able to, because this was also the first game where you could hunt. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Because all the other games, you know, you, you had treasures and stuff to find, but this was the first game that you actually was hunting. Like you could actually hunt the different animals that was there. Um, and it was one of the biggest things that actually was where hunting became a big thing, because if I'm correct, right before Assassin's Three came out, Red Dead Redemption came out. Um mm-hmm. like a like a little while before. And so Red Dead Redemption made it so big about you know about hunting. And making that part of the game for you to have to be able to progress through and do stuff. And so Assassin's Creed adapted that. And the hunting um, mechanics was amazing. Like being able to hunt with your assassin weapons and stuff. Or even just like the old-fashioned way. Like the first time you introduced to Connor as as his actual native self, you start off hunting. Like that's the first thing you do with him. And so it's like being able to incorporate that was amazing. But that was the only thing that drew me back to play the game, play that game again. Like to be honest with you, once I beat it, if I went back to play it again, I didn't go back to play it for the story. <laughs> I went back to play it just to so I could finish up the hundred percent. You know, I enjoyed the hunting. I enjoyed getting the treasures and stuff like that. Like that, that was actually a little bit more enjoyable in this game than Ezio trilogy with the motherfucking feathers. But times <laughs> 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 you missed it. Oh man. So no, 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 no. Talos, Talos didn't miss it. Talos, mm, I, mm, mm, I'm, I'm gonna be right with you. Them, them, them fuck ass feathers, you know. Right. But, and then but the payoff wasn't know. worth it. The payoff Ex- wasn't worth it. <laughs> yeah, the whole fucking cape where it's like, oh, you get this nice cape with your family crest on it. But guess what? As soon as uh, one, as soon as the guard even spots you, you're automatically on the shit list. Look, once again, once once again, there's a whole tangent I could go on on games like that where literally the payout is not worth it. You know, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. It wasn't. It wasn't. So just, just but um, just. but this one was. This was one of those ones that you got some really cool um cloaks to go with as far as fitting into the actual Native American theme itself being able to represent like your tribe and stuff like that it was amazing 
So I was like, okay, this is cool. But that's the only thing that made you go back, if you decided to, was just to finish mm. up. Once you finished 100%, once you've hunted every single creature, there was nothing else there. <laughs> there was nothing more to do. And I was like, okay, well, that's about it. Then the DLC Freedom Cry came out, and he was like, oh, okay, so what's this about? And then Freedom Cry was like, oh, what if George Washington was actually a bad guy? And you're like, what? Uh, uh, <laughs> well, hold on, you're, you're missing the, like uh, that was Tyranny of King Washington. You're thinking, uh, like oh, I said, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh god, I but forgot about not, that one. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it was just the story. The story wasn't. It, it didn't grab you. Like you, you could play through it, but it wasn't memorable. Like, you know, pretty much like y'all have said already, you you blurred through it. Like you made it from the beginning. It's like one of those cases where you were driving and you didn't realize that you mentally fell asleep while you was driving, and all of a sudden you're at your destination. You're like, how the fuck did I get here? <laughs> yeah, like it's. That's, that's, that's honestly how I felt about Assassin's Creed 3. It felt like, yeah, you're in colonial America. Like, it seems all interesting to uh, meet George Washington and all those uh, famous faces. But at the same time, it's like, eh, it's a blur to me. It's like, eh, it, it was an experience. Like, you know. Definitely. And then also, I'm, I, I just want to mention, I want to ask you guys specifically into this. It felt like Assassin's Creed 3 was supposed to be the end because of how they killed off Desmond, how it ends with Desmond. Am I the only one that kind of was confused about that ending? Well, hold on. You're not, you're not alone. And let me just go <laughs> ahead and get on to that by saying that this is pr- pretty much the family guy effect to me. Like, I, I kind of coined this whole term because my thing was uh if y'all remember y'all remember that two-part episode where brian dies oh yeah yeah that was supposed to be the that was supposed to be like the end of family guy at that point that was the point where Seth MacFarlane was like yeah i'm ready to walk away from family guy at this point but no why did you kill up brian like bring brian back and i was like all right fine I bring Brian back, but he's not going to be the same lovable um, dog that you remember him by. And pretty much the the joke's going to get phoned in and it's just not the same anymore. That's pretty much what the Assassin's Creed uh, franchise became. Like after Desmond, it's like you play as this faceless um, agent of Abstergo, but it just don't feel the same because like it, there's a little, you know, like... <clears throat> I'm trying to put into words, but it just—it feels like the Assassin's Creed uh, franchise was dying after Assassin's Creed Three, even though Black Flag is one of my favorites. Like I want to say top three, uh, but even then, it's like at some point you're just thinking, "Yeah, like no, like you, hey, I got all the venom for Unity." So you're going to find out why I feel this way in Unity when we do part four. But mm-hmm. essentially, I just felt like after, really after uh, three, it just felt like they kind of, mm, they it, it almost like they went a more corporate direction with uh, Ubisoft Montreal. Like they went like a more corporate with the micro transactions and all that shit. It's like they got more... Um, cool. 
Go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say put in this aspect here. Okay, so remember we talked about it in part like remember we had talked about it in part one and part two of Altea Ezio was the fact that we had the A storyline, B storyline. Mm-hmm. And how during Altair trilogy, the A storyline just wasn't just wasn't really there. Even to the point like the little spin-off games, Assassin with um Altair's Chronicles and stuff, like they didn't feature any B storyline whatsoever. There was no Desmond at all present inside of those games. And that's what made that's what one of the things that made people still want to actually play into it. A lot of people did not like Desmond's story because you have the A story, you have the A storyline, B storyline, how they're supposed to connect together and how they're supposed to tie in together. But then the B storyline was very lackluster. Nobody played for Desmond. We played for the assassins. Like that's yeah, why true. we got into it. So it's understandable, like the whole faceless situation, and like, okay, so now we have, we have a B storyline because that is there, you know, so it is still supposed to be there as part of the story, but realistically, nobody's there for that. That's not what everyone is there to play for. Like you're there to play the past. You're there to play with the, with the assassins, and that's what the selling point is. Anytime you see the commercials for every single Assassin's Creed game. When the fuck do you see Desmond anywhere in the commercial? When the fuck do you see the other shit anywhere in the commercial? The commercial is yeah. always about the assassins. I mean, yeah, they had to make it sellable, so that's understandable. Yeah. So uh, I get it. <clears throat> but that's why I was yeah. just like, it felt like, okay, okay, we killed all, we, we just went ahead and just killed off Desmond and just said that that's supposed to be it. And I'm like, okay, but the way he died, the world's supposed to be over. Like the world should be should be done. It's ended at that moment. Yet now we continue on with a oh, we're in Upstergo and the welcome. This is the most wonderful place. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Did we travel back in past? This is this is some other type <laughs> of shit. Like <laughs> this supposed to be some midway. This wouldn't make sense as being a midway because the way it started off with Desmond, like it was still kind of experimental when they were doing it with Desmond. But then we got of Sturgo with, with Assassin's Creed 4 and further, and it's like this advanced civilization. So it's like, did the world end? They just escaped? Or like, I don't know. It's like, you just left me hanging with the B storyline. I never cared about the B storyline like that. But now I'm interested in this fucking B storyline because now I'm confused as hell at how the hell we get into this point. Yeah, it's like, it may have been boring. I not gonna lie, but I just felt like the Desmond storyline was uh, a little essential as far as uh, where do we go from here? Like, it just kind of in that perspective to where, okay, you went back in the past, well, using animus, uh, to discover these, <laughs> to discover these things about your ancestors. And Desmond jumps out of the animus and it's like, I know what we have to do. It's like, this is the only, it's pretty much like in games where it's like, you know, like, this is the only way. Mm-hmm. But not exactly like a high, uh, not exactly like um, in game, but you know, like pretty much sacrifice himself for the greater good. But um, if anybody got anything else on Assassin's no. Creed 3, let me know. Otherwise, I am moving on. <laughs> I think Talos has some energies for something later on. Oh, 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 most definitely. Most, de- most definitely. <laughs> I feel that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this podcast. 
we are now going to transition over from Assassin's Creed 3 to Assassin's Creed 3 Liberation. Now, why I want to mention this one is because you get to... Well, hold on, let me back up a little bit. So in modern day, in Abstergal Entertainment, uh, which is a subsidiary of Abstergal that produces multimedia goods, so I imagine it's like entertainment stuff, and they released their first major product, uh, which is Liberation, which is a video game about the life of the assassin, uh, Avalon de Grump Grandpa. Excuse me, I'm messed up the last name, but uh, essentially, what I liked about this is that, okay, a female assassin, like, cool, cool, cool. And it kind of baffled me how some people straight up was like, uh, what was it? Whether it was with Syndicate or Odyssey. They were like, how come we don't get to play as female assassin? Did you ever play Liberation? Did there you ever go. Play, did you ever play China Chronicles? Yeah, but then again, um, <laughs> China Chronicles came like after Liberation. So it's almost like, oh, well, um, if you thought that Xiao, Xiao Jun, excuse me, I almost say Xiao Yun, uh, if you thought she was going to be the first playable female assassin, then I'm like, uh, prepare to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, essentially, you have this, I want to say she's like uh, Creole. Yeah, definitely Creole. Uh, this Creole assassin in um, New Orleans. Yep. And you have this hacker group, uh, Erudito. Oh my God, these names, goddamn. Uh, <laughs> player during their playthrough and reveals that a heavy amount of sensory was done in regard to the Assassin Templar War, offering to help them learn about the truth. Now, you get to play as Abilene in 1765 from her family mansion in New Orleans, and she lives alongside her father, Felipe Oliver, and her stepmother, uh, Madeline De. Oh, God damn it. I'm not, I'm not going through these links for this shit. But as the city undergoes the transition to, of control from France to Spain, near the end of the French and Indian War, Abilene discovers a plot to control Louisiana, orchestrated by the Templar Rafael Joaquin de Ferrer. Like, okay, that was a little easier for me, but goddamn. Uh, to counter this, she assassinates two men assistant in his gold French governor, Jean-Jacques Blase de Abadi, and an assassin turncoat named Baptiste. Oh my God, I'm thinking Overwatch now. <laughs> but a year <laughs> after these assassinations, De Ferrer leaves New Orleans. His associate, Antonio de Ola, uh, is appointed Louisiana's new Spanish governor, and then jumped to three years later in 1768, Abilene's mentor, Agate, orders her to assassinate uh, Ula. Oh. Ah, these names! <laughs> Who has been imposing strict trading on restrictions. I'm sorry. <laughs> Setting up a covert trade slaving operation, slave trading operation, and allowing French officials to continue operate in the city. However, Abilene's spirit uh, Uloa Upon learning the slaves sent out of the city were assigned to a Templar excavation site in 
Chichen Itza, and instead orders him to step down as governor and leave New Orleans against Agate's orders. Abilene heads to uh, Chichen Itza to disguise as a slave, runs to her mother, Jean, uh, Jean, my, excuse me, um, these names, a former assassin who disappeared during her youth, and I kind of see why now. <laughs> she also encounters Tefer, learns that he has been ordered by his superior, only known, known only as, quote-unquote, the company man. The man. <laughs> to use the slaves to find an ancient chamber built by the first civilization, Abilene entered the chamber, revealing, uh, retrieving one half of an artifact called the Prophecy Disc, and kills the fair. Um, Jean, fearing that Agate sent Abilene to kill her for betraying the assassins, mm, I kind of see why now, warns her daughter not to give him the disc. Now, jumping to 1771, following Abilene's return to New Orleans, her friend and fellow assassin Gerard uh, Blanc informs her that while the Spanish control strengthened during their, her absence, a Templar named Diego Vasquez bribed several soldiers to control the bayou. Learning that Agate is in danger, Abilene goes to warn and protect him. A year later, she returns to teaching Issa, where she reunites with Jean and forgives her for her past actions. After helping Abilene recover the second half of the disc, Jean stays behind to protect the area from further Templar incursions. Jumping to 1776, Abilene returns to New Orleans and commits herself to freeing slaves. While Madeline uh, learns of her stepdaughter's work, she asks her to help a former slave, George Davidson, escape to the north so that he may join the Patriot Army. Abilene later assassinates Vasquez, but learns that he is not the company man that she assumed. Now, during this time, Felipe mysteriously falls ill and Right. Uh, hold on for one moment while I try to fix that. But <laughs> uh, hopefully, y'all still hear me and all that shit. Yes. Yeah, we can. Yeah, cool, 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 cool. cool. All right. <clears throat> uh, where was I? Yes, in 1777, Gerard informed Evelyn of a loyalist uh, officer operating at the North. New York Frontier, who might know the company identity with the help of fellow assassin Connor. That's right, our boy Connor is coming back into the fold, so that's what makes it look. Agree. Avlin kills the officer, revealed to be Davidson, and after returning to New Orleans and deducing that Madeline is the company man, how funny because a company man is actually a woman, and poison her father, Avlin confronts her. Now, Madeline reveals that she had been secretly grooming Abilene to become a Templar. My God. Like, yes. I feel dirty I mean, already. She trying. But, but oh, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. <laughs> and <laughs> ask her to kill Agate as a final show of trust. Abilene goes to warn him, but Agate, believing that Abilene has already joined the Templars because of her past disobediences, attacks her before he commits suicide and unable to accept his failure as a mentor. Ugh. Just, oof. So, 
Avalon meets with Madeline at St. Louis Cathedral to be initiated into the Templar Order and gives her the uh, prophecy disc. Madeline is unable to activate it and deduces that it is missing its final component, a locket that Jean had given to Avalon in her youth. So Avalon then reveals her true intentions, like she's not really going to join the Templars, like what the fuck? <laughs> but Avalon then reveals her true intentions to kill Madeline and the other attending Templars before connecting the locket to the disc. This unlocks a holographic recording from the time of the first civilization, showing the election of Eve as the leader of the human rebellion against the human first civilization war. Whew. I'm done. Starting with Kokugatsu, how you feeling about Liberation? <laughs> Let me be honest with you. Me and Liberation have a bit of a bittersweet uh a little bit of a bittersweet moment into it. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. First, well, uh, okay, just just being honest on it. So, I love the fact that yes, first game she plays a female assassin, and that wanted to be one of the biggest selling points. Unfortunately, to, uh, for my ex, <laughs> which was mm-hmm. the actual only reason that I was allowed to get a Vita. I'm sorry, Liberation allowed me to finally get a Vita, so I was happy about that. But I was more frustrated that was the only reason I was allowed to get a Vita was specifically for this game <laughs> where I had been trying multiple times before. I was not I was not in a good place before, as Jet Black notes. So <laughs> there was no, no attack on liberation on that aspect. That's just unfortunately kind of had a little memory lapse moment back into that. So I'm sorry. Anyway, moving past of that. Now, Liberation, it was okay. I'll put it this way. It was okay. It was one of those cases where we had talked about this before, um, Jet Black. We mentioned about the handheld game systems and how much they've changed significantly now and how the Switch is actually very smart in being able to have the handheld that plugs into the TV because it's pretty much how they do it. The Vita is pretty much able to run everything that a PS3 would run but in your hand. <laughs> which made the Vita like such a major revolutionizing system. And even before that, just the PSP itself, which many would agree that is actually was better than the Vita specifically because they were able to fine tune a lot of different things on it first versus the Vita where they just kept releasing updates and stuff. So, so in other words, the Vita was more like the iPhone of the PlayStation portable family while the original was more like team Android. I would uh, know what <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's what it sounds like to me. Look, I'm not finna go we're not starting the Android iPhone war here right now. <laughs> we're here to entertain our listeners. <laughs> not causing it. we're not doing this. But I don't know, maybe a war is what they might want to hear. Like I mean, you know, we Look, debate every I, now and then. Maybe the into that shit is like that's right, fight, motherfucker. I understand that Assassin's Creed Three and Assassin's Creed Three Liberation was all about revolution. We're not doing this, <laughs> <laughs> but but go ahead. The storyline for it was significantly more captivating than Assassin's Creed Three. However, with the fact that Liberation was when it first came out only for the Vita. That actually hurt a lot of sales into it, but then well, it not hurt a lot of sales, but it hurt a lot of people to for the storyline because a lot of people didn't get a Vita or didn't want to get a Vita. Like I don't want to get a handheld game just to play the next installment. I want to play it like on my system. 
And it wasn't until later on that they finally re-released it and added it as like a DLC attachment to Assassin's Creed 3 where you could get the full remastered version of it. So it was great they did that, but I know a lot of people missed out on the story for this one. Avalon's story is one that's a touch back into Brotherhood, uh, where literally how me and Jet Black talked about in the previous episode, Assassin's Creed 2 Brotherhood, I found it funny that it was called Brotherhood, and really I felt like the whole game should have been called Assassin's Creed 2 Betrayal. Because <laughs> that's not what the fuck it was, bro. Everything was just betrayal, betrayal, betrayal. Like, that's, what, that's literally what all the fucking shit was. And then Evelyn's story is the same shit. Like, everything is just... I felt bad for her because she was trying to do good and then wound up succumbing to the evil in the end type of thing. It's kind of how it wound up feeling. So it was really oh. frustrating. So it's like, <laughs> instead of Assassin's Creed Liberation, it'd probably be more appropriate to call it Assassin's Creed Treason. Bruh, that, ooh, ooh. <laughs> we give us some ideas now, but then again, I mean, we have Rogue, which we're about to go into later on that anyway, so. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's like, it is it's pretty. It's one of those touch base into it. That, yeah, but this one was this was one of those ones she tried hard to be good, and the the more she tried to be good, the worse she got. It's the exact opposite of what's happening in One Punch Man right now with Garo. Oh <laughs> yeah, like bro, like, <laughs> motherfucker! I'm like, yo, what the fuck? It's the exact, but not not to spoil it, but just understanding the more that Garo is trying to do evil, the more he's actually helping people, and he doesn't even realize this is what's happening. So it's the exact opposite. It's pretty funny. It just made me think of that. <laughs> but Evelyn's story was also great in the fact that the gameplay was pretty much the same. Um, being able to touch into the French and Indian War was actually a very, very great move as far as into the storyline itself. Because, I mean, to be honest, the, the American Revolution, was it should have been really great to go into, but it was so heavily focused on just the Kenway like beginning origin story of the Kenways, it just it focused so heavily on that it lost the revolution part, which should have been one of the biggest things that helped out for the gameplay. But that's kind of where three fell at. Whereas liberation, the French and Indian War was about politics. It, it was about specific people that was causing or changing things to happen. So this wasn't like a all it, it wasn't all out battle, but things were specifically done because of certain generals decisions and things like that so having that minor folk having that like not minor but that that focus onto that specific thing helped out for the story because it was relevant you didn't feel like you was getting bored or losing anything now the only thing about it was the gameplay was about the same however with it being on the vita it still was different you still kept all the same weapons you still kept all the same systems, being able to climb trees, being able to still climb buildings and things like that. It's just, it felt a little different. The gameplay felt a little lacking. But I think that just might be because it was on the Vita. And the Vita's playing style was very different than having a controller in your hand looking at a screen. So it felt very different. It didn't feel as comfortable, at least not to me. But even when I looked the reviews into it, some people was like, the gameplay was all right. And I was like, it, it had the same mechanics, but it felt different. Like a lot of people did say it felt different. 
And that's what I think it was. So I have not played it remastered on the actual system, but I don't know. It was just kind of thing for me onto that one. But I did like the story. Gameplay was all right. I just, but this is also one of those ones that once you beat it, you didn't go back to it. At least not for me. I, I never went back to it. Yeah, a little yeah. upset on that. <laughs> yeah, like with uh, Liberation, I remember a little bit better than Assassin's Creed 3 itself. But once again, it's one of those things where I just kind of blazed right through it. And yeah. I just thought, you know, it was kind of interesting to play as a female assassin. But the story behind it was pretty solid, too. It's like, you know, all the betrayals and turns out that uh, pretty much Evelyn had an evil stepmother. And I was like, oh, my God, this feels like a Disney movie. <laughs> it did. It did. <clears throat> but yes, I mean, it wasn't bad, though. It wasn't bad. It was just, was there ways for it to be better? Definitely. But I mean, it still wasn't bad. I will say, it, I was happy to not have Desmond, but this was the first time that we had our, mystery, our mystery protagonist that, mm. it was, that we still have no idea about that was playing the games. This is our very first introduction to our mystery person here. So that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, Talos, any input on Liberation? Liberation? Nah, not really. <laughs> really? <laughs> the, only uh-huh. I was, the only reason why I was, only reason why I was doing it like that is, is, is no offense. Like I said, the only reason I'm doing it like that is because, once again, Liberation started kind of bringing things back to where they should have been. Like it, like it was already been said, you know, the games were feeling kind of out of whack for a minute. Mm-hmm. If you had been planning for a hot minute when you got to this point, they were starting to feel like, you know, especially with the storyline, especially for those of you who are trying to tie the storyline together and everything else, you like, how does all this fit? What does this come in at? So it was kind of getting back to where it really needed to be. So honestly, eh, you know, I ain't got too much I can say about liberation. I mean, but you ain't I got had too to much go bad to say about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like I don't really, like, I don't really, I ain't really got nothing. I guess I ain't really got too much bad, but I don't have too much good either. So it's it's kind of a balance, you know. It's just eh, you right down <laughs> the margin. You you, you just escape. You right down the margin. I feel that. Like ultimately, I uh, like I didn't hate it, but yeah, like pretty much it just felt kind of mid to me. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was a it was a bag of mixed feelings for me. Yeah. Now, um, I will say, okay, uh, I maybe if we have time, but. Kokugatsu, uh, funny how you mentioned Rogue not too long ago, because guess what we're going to be talking about now? Assassin's Creed Rogue. Now, not four? Yeah. <clears throat> because, no, because it takes place in between Assassin's Creed Black Flag and Assassin's Creed 3, so I was like, I kind of got to do it. But hey, hey. <laughs> but hey. 
But hey, look at it this way. At least we saved the best for last, right? Uh, you're right. You're right. I like the Kenway saga. I mean, personally, for me, four was the best in the Kenway saga, but not in the way that you guys think. We'll get to it when we get there. <laughs> now, let's start with Rogue because it did set place in between Black Flag and Assassin's Creed 3, and it also has ties into Assassin's Creed Unity, uh, which was released on the same day as Rogue, but again, we just figured that it would be more appropriate to talk about Rogue during the Kenway saga than to just wait until another part to talk about Rogue and Unity and Syndicate, and let's be honest, uh, between those three titles, the only one that's really worth mentioning in a positive light was Syndicate, but... (laughs) Anyways, let's go on to the story about how we get to meet in 1752 a man named Shay Patrick Cormack, who is a new recruit to the Colonial Brotherhood of Assassins, whose potential is offset by his insubordination. Hmm, who does that remind me of? Is there an assassin that reminds you of that? Like, you know, kind of brash and disobedient to a degree. I'm thinking all oh, year. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> now, while training with the North Atlantic chapter under the assassin mentor Achilles Davenport, as you mentioned in the um, previous one, then we have the assassin Adewale, as we mentioned in Freedom Cry, uh, as they arrive with news that poor old Prince was devastated by an earthquake during the search for a precursor site. Now, during this his experience captaining ships, Shay's tasked to retrieve a precursor box and manuscript linked to the Temple of the Templars. However, Shay begins to question the assassin's motives as they refuse to engage in dialogue with the Templars and order Shay to assassinate them simply for being an obstacle including the terminally ill Lawrence Washington. So, in 1754, after assassinating the Templars guarding the box and the manuscript, Shea delivers them to Benjamin Franklin, yes, Benjamin Franklin, for an experiment. Powering the box with electricity, it generates a map that shows the location of more precursor temples around the world. In order to investigate one such temple in Lisbon, Shay inadvertently triggers an earthquake when he retrieves the piece of Eden at his center, which disintegrates in his hands. Now, the earthquake destroys Lisbon and thousands of people, leaving Shay guilt-ridden. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, that's the um, an actual occurrence where it's like in 1755, Lisbon had this big, great Lisbon earthquake. So it was actually a real thing. Uh, and it just happened to be tied into this Assassin's Creed. See, that's what the whole thing about the whole franchise being like one big historical piece to where you just learn shit about social studies and all that just by playing video games. But that's beside the point. Deducing that poor all Prince was destroyed similarly, Shay is horrified to learn that Achilles intends to continue the search for a piece of Eden and endanger more lives. So he steals the manuscript and attempts to escape with it, but is cornered by the Brotherhood. Shay is shot and left for dead before he can destroy the manuscript. But cast adrift, Shay survived, and he was founded by uh, he was found. Excuse, excuse me, um, kind of speaking so fast. I'm 
<laughs> he's followed by Colonel George Mor- Monroe. Monroe. See, that throws me off because his last name is uh, spelled M-O-N-R-O. So, like, the minus the E, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> so, Monroe. So, who saves him and leaves him in the care of the Templar supports in New York City after recovering in 1756, which was two years from the last um, event with the Lisbon earthquake. Shay decides to clean out the assassin allied gangs and that are extorting for the citizens, catching Monroe's attention, who convinces Shay that he can improve the lives of others. So, meeting with Christopher Gist, Shay retakes his ship, the Morgan, from the assassins and agrees to assist his new allies, despite learning that they are Templars. Learning that the assassins have not given up their search for the pieces of Eden, Shay hunts them down, become a fully-fledged member of the Templar Order in the process. And after killing uh, Le Chasseur, uh, Kesawase, he also killed Otto Wallace. So, yeah, yeah, that's going to kind of sting for people who actually like that character. Uh, this one chick, Hope Jensen, and Louis Joseph uh, Gaultier de la Verendry over the following years. Only two members of the Colonial Brotherhood remain, Achilles and his second command, Liam O'Brien who was once Shay's best friend. Now, Ben, Shay, and the Templar Grandmaster. Oh, I hate this guy, this guy, this guy. Hey, Thumb Kenway. <laughs> Pursue them to the Arctic where the assassins have located another temple after eliminating the assassin expedition. Shay and Haytham enter the temple and to find Liam and Achilles, who have realized that the artifact is a means to stabilize the world, not a weapon to control it. During the confrontation, the artifact is accidentally destroyed, triggering another earthquake. As the four escape, Shay and Liam duel, and Liam is fatally injured when the two fall. Shay returns to his help to his ship, excuse me, as Haytham overpowers Achilles. Shay pursues persuades Haytham to spare Achilles to ensure knowledge of the temple is not lost. So the assassins will not pursue them again. Haytham agrees, but cripples Achilles. So you see what I mean by being a dick? <laughs> so tasked by Haytham to recover the precursor box from the assassins, Shay spends the next 16 years tracking it down. While Templar influence in the colonies is destroyed by the assassin Connor, yes, it's Connor, from the American during the American Revolution. So, in 1776, with Benjamin Franklin's help, Shay infiltrates the Palace of Versailles and France and kills the assassin Charles Dorian to obtain the box. And here's the funny thing about that: Charles Dorian is the father of Arno Dorian, who is going to be the main character in Unity. So, funny tie into that. Now, in modern day, the player is an unnamed obstetrical entertainment employee tasked to researching Shay's memories. During their investigation, the player is inadvertently trips and a hidden memory file that infects the animus servers. Abstergo is placed in lockdown, the player must clean the animus servers by living out Shay's memories. Uh, Juhani Osso Berg, who is a senior Templar, 
orders the player to upload Shay's memories to the assassin servers to weaken their resolve. The Brotherhood responds by cutting off communication. And in a mid-credit scenes at the end of the game, Berg thanks the player for their help and gives them a choice. Join the Templars or die. And the player's decision was not revealed. So, that's it for Assassin's Creed Rogue. Starting with Kokugasu, I understand that you haven't played Rogue, but how do you feel about how that turned out based on my description of the story? Look, I haven't played Rogue on purpose. <laughs> I refuse... I refuse to play a game where you play with the Templar. Like, see, that's the thing, too. Like, I, I, I felt dirty playing Ashay, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? He can actually wield katanas in this game. So I was like, you know what? That that might... It's not enough for me. It's not I enough mean, for me. I know, bro. I know, but I was like, you know... Eh. <laughs> I was curious, okay? I wanted to see how it look, played out. Look, all in all, bro... The Unity Rogue release disappointed me completely. Okay, I'm gonna put it in this aspect here. You literally advertise it as you got these two games coming out. One, you can continue playing as assassins where you're building things back up again. You're trying to recover after the full-on destruction that Templars was able to do with the Assassin Order. You know, you, you're actually building your team. You're building people again. And I was like, sweet. Feels like we're finally getting back into Brotherhood and Revelation again with Ezio, but with a different person. And we're going to get into why that game broke down in the next part. But just ultimate disappointment. Then you advertise, or you can play as a Templar, bring down the Assassin Order, and I was like, why the fuck would you do this shit? <laughs> why the fuck would you do this shit? You telling me that I can destroy everything that I've already built? This is one of the reasons I don't like playing Sims, okay? I don't have a God complex. I don't like this. I, I'm not saying everyone who plays Sims does, but me personally, I don't have a God complex. I hate having to control well, you everyone, like, your me. whole mool is me. I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I like RPGs because they've already had their story out, okay? You're just playing their story. This is their stuff. You have cutscenes where you was like, that's a dumbass decision, but I'm not the one who made it. You're the one who made it type of shit, okay? So, <laughs> I just can't. It's weird. But the, also, one of the things I don't like about Sims is that I, if I build a character and stuff, I get attached to it. You can't ask me to kill this character just to start over from scratch, you can't say, oh, okay, well, the people was like, oh, the funnest part about Sims is killing your Sims. I said, that sounds what? like serial killer nonsense. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Bruh, I played the there's Sims, a, and I never thought, oh, that's the fun part about killing. Um, there's a, there's no. a whole thing. There's like a whole community literally based around the best ways or most exciting ways to kill your Sims, whether it be like drowning them a random accidental fire that wasn't an accident, you actually caused it on purpose type of thing. Electric fires, um, getting run over by a car. The Grim Reaper shows up, your pet dies, and they die of a heart attack from sadness. There's a whole community specifically on creative, inventive ways to kill your Sims because the developers put that in there. As Raina said, the developers said that they put it in there just to be more realistic because this is how people have died. But for real, 
<laughs> There's people literally what they do is they make a sim character and make them serial killers. I saw a video of this. I was like, what the hell is what is this that I am watching? And it was like creative, weird ways of playing The Sims. And I was like, you know, I've never played it. Maybe this might interest me. No, this turned me off completely. After this video, I never <laughs> played it. <laughs> I was like, no, never. They literally took their Sims. And what they do is, is that they constantly invite people over and stuff. Where they get like neighbors and stuff like that to come over and shit. And then they would kill the neighbors by burning the house down, claiming the insurance money. And then start over in a whole other neighborhood. And I was like, what the, f- the fuck? What? What the fuck? <laughs> this, is what, this is what Rogue sent me back to. I'm like, look, I've worked hard, okay? I may not have... Pl- I played Assassin's Creed 1 well after I played 2, but I played it before then Unity Rogue came out. You're telling me that I am now have an opportunity to play a way to destroy the order that I'm working so hard to help build. It's like literally saying you're playing Dragon Age or Mass Effect, and then the third game comes out, and you're like, hey, you need to kill your person at the very beginning of the game and destroy the whole world, destroy the whole universe, just because it's fun. What? No. Now, the storyline seemed interesting. I'm not going to lie. It did seem interesting. I don't feel like the person should have gone to the Templars. I didn't feel like there was a reason for that. But either way, Again, I didn't play the game. I refused to. I still refuse to. And that's all I got to say on it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel that. But uh, once again, like, as we already talked about, how with these Shades of Grey, it's like, yeah, we know the Templars uh, have some fucked up agendas, but uh, Assassin's Creed Rogue opened up the fact that the Assassins aren't completely innocent either. I mean, think about their creed. Nothing is true. Everything's permitted. So it's like um, they both sides are in a morally gray area. It's it's almost like uh, Warhammer to me to where it's like pretty much everybody in that faction is like evil to a degree. And uh, it's almost like you just pick your favorite out of uh, the two or the uh, many factions. But in this case, it's like it's either your assassin, a temple or neither. And you're just like, well, there's shades of gray no matter where you go, but it's like, what shade of gray do you like? Yeah, exactly. I'm, mm. <laughs> I know That's the world's not really black is. and white. I understand the world's yeah. not black and white. I get that. It's just, again, you you can't ask me to build, you can't have me build this all the way up and then tell me to destroy it in the end just because. No. Can't find yeah. a way to fix it from the inside. I gotta kill the false assassins. We will do that shit. But I'm not gonna just destroy the whole order as my opponent. Never. <laughs> I feel you, bro. Talos, uh, you have any input on Rogue? Alright, so I kind of didn't see Rogue is like how you know using like as far as being of a God complex type of deal where it's like, you know, you're taking over all your stuff and you're just destroying what you basically built. I looked at it as they basically wanted you to be a, have a, have a say in your own thing. Like, okay, Hey, here you go. Choose your side. Some people may have wanted to see it from the other side. So they may have been like, 
here you go. This is your chance to choose, you know, see it from the other side. You can see the right and wrongs of both sides if you if you want to. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, you know, for me, I played, I played it. I played both sides. Did I care for the Templars a little bit still? No. Not <laughs> Like, see, that's the thing, though. Like, with Assassin's Creed Rogue, you're like, okay, uh, you playing as a Templar. Maybe the Templars aren't that bad. No, fuck them. <laughs> like, that's how I looked, ahead, at I looked at it. I looked at it as like that. Like, okay, eh, did I like playing as a Templar? Sure. But did I really, you know, was it really worth my time and effort? Did I really care about it? No, nah, not really. Yeah. <laughs> nah, nah, not really. Not really. It was a was it a fun experience? Yes, sure, sure it was. It was a fun experience, but if I had to choose my side, I'm gonna choose the assassins. That's just how it goes. Like that's just how I felt about it. Rogue was once again, Rogue was okay. I know a lot of people are probably gonna be like, Talos, you literally giving all these games an okay or an <laughs> but I look, mean look, for the most part, I'm telling you now, like it they as far as the assassin games go, they were okay. They were literally okay. Like Rogue, Rogue was one of those ones that was okay. Yes, it had some fun aspects to it. You know, from taking it out of that context, yes, it had some fun aspects to it. Yes, as a gamer, did I I enjoy playing again in the series? But it really was. It's not gonna get anything above it, okay? Because there were aspects to it that it could have done better. You really want me to be if I'm a, if I'm gonna sit here and go into those aspects of it truthfully if you, if you really want me to go into aspects of that um from three on forward there were a lot of things that they should have put into the game they should have literally taken stuff from the previous game and added it to the next one up there are certain mm-hmm. aspects that they cut out because quote unquote they were going by storyline. But to be honest with you, it messed it up a little bit because yeah, as an because assa- as an assassin, no offense, and I forget which game it was, but there was one game they took our quote unquote eagle dive out of. Yeah, yeah, oh. that was. Um, damn, which one was it? That wasn't Unity. Uh, I forget which it one Unity? it was. They took they took our you know they took our eagle dive the out. Of faith. They took our, yeah, they took they took the leap of faith out. Why did my mm-hmm. god? It, it was did. just for it was just for one game. One assassin literally does not do the leap of faith. <clears throat> he has something totally different. But for me, I felt like Assassin's Creed trademark. One of the trademarks was the leap of faith. Yeah, that was I mean, since the very beginning. The, yeah, you go on top of the bell tower. Uh, you pretty much scout out the area. You pretty much um expand the map on what's available and then once you're done you just hear that eagle cry as you fall to this yes. um pile of hay or something like that i was like bro like that's iconic that's like an iconic element to the game the fact that you take that away it's like it almost feel like it's not even a Creed anymore but you know it's still a Creed, yeah. but it's almost like you just took a little bit of the uh spirit out of it doing that, that you didn't take a little bit you didn't take a little bit look assassin's creed was so ideal about the about the leap of faith. They input that shit into other games. Now, granted, even there was even one game they actually made fun of it. 
where they had a dude dressed up as an assassin that jumped that apparently did a leap of faith and jumped into like a haystack in the back in like a little trailer thing and the trailer broke and the assassin died which realistically would happen because <laughs> they try to say this yeah. is not realistic obviously we know that it's the joy before game but that's how iconic that is for the assassin's creed games and so you take out the main point honestly that was the biggest thing i, I saw an e3 review where assassin's creed was first announced i saw a video of it and literally when people saw it, those people talking about it saying, oh, this is pretty cool, this is pretty cool. It was when Altair took a leap of faith off the fucking building. People was like, yo! That itself tells you this was the biggest thing. You take that out. Why? What, what, what point was that? That's just why. That part. That part. <laughs> I don't know. We, I, I'm gonna have to look into this. This is some shit where I'm gonna have to do some homework on. But uh, without wasting too much time, we got one title left. I would uh, talk about Freedom Cry a little bit, but essentially, Ottawale gets washed up on this island. Uh, he meets some people. He kills some uh, Templars. Uh, he pretty much uh, helped uh, kill the governor. Uh, but then he leaves the uh, island to return to Assassin, but he promises he'll come back. That's pretty much it. If you want to play Freedom Cry, just pick up Black Flag or uh, the Assassin's Creed Rebel Collection and just play that. But um, let's go ahead and get to Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag with our boy, Edward Kenway. Now... Let me tell you this before I get started on the story. When I played this game, I was immersed because just like how with Assassin's Creed 3, where they just introduced hunting, you have Assassin's Creed 4, where they introduced sailing and um, pirate shanties and all this other shit. And the best part is the best part of this game to me was when you get to a point to where you're so badass, you have six flintlocks tucked in, and you just pretty much um, blasting all of them. Like, <laughs> and like it's almost like Django Unchained to me, where it's like I count um six shots, nigga. I was like, I count six guns, nigga. <laughs> <laughs> That's really how it was. I was like, yo, he is literally popping off. I was like, yes, yes, Edward, this is my dude. This is my dude right here. Now, let's go. In the plot, it's 2013, and remember this is from present time. This is months after Desmond Miles sacrificed in Assassin's Creed 3. Samples from Desmond's body allow Abstergo uh, Industries to continue exploring his genetic memories with the Anima's newfound cloud computing ability. Now, keep in mind that back in like part one, they already explained that they can do this. But the only difference was they had a living specimen to use those memories. But really, they don't really need Desmond alive for that. They just need his genetic, they need some sort of uh, DNA of his. So that way, okay, as long as we have his DNA, like they even said that, okay, you can use their bones to like trace back memories. So it's like, that's really all they needed. Like the fact that he was alive was just a slight bonus, but he wasn't really exactly needed. Just like what Kogasu pretty much said, like they could just pretty much did the whole franchise without Desmond, but I kind of appreciate it for what it was. That's all I can say. But 
that's beside the point. Now we have this unnamed player who is hired by historical entertainment to examine the memories of Desmond's ancestor, Edward, who was a famous 18th century pirate. Now, what I did like about Edward is that he didn't start off as an assassin. He pretty much went from being this swashbuckler who kind of unwittingly got into the assassin Templar war, and then he kind of grew into the role of being an assassin, and then later a master assassin. Now, where was I with this? Okay. Ups. He, this is the gathered information on it. An animus power interactive feature film. In reality, Abstergo, which is the Templars, are searching for a first civilization structure known as the Observatory in Edward's memories. Now, as Edward, you unraveled a conspiracy between the high-ranking Templars within the British and Spanish empires. Under the guise of cleaning up piracy in the Caribbean, they have used their position to locate the sage, later identified to be Bartholomew Roberts, the only man that can lead them to the observatory. Now, it can monitor anyone anywhere in the world when provided a blood sample, which is, they intend to use to spy on and blackmail world leaders. And it's funny how Kokugasu mentioned how with uh, Assassin's Creed Rogue, uh, God well, actually, the film. Yeah, God Complex. I was like, bro, like, these Templars are some God Complex for real. I told you, look, look, because I know Tom's wasn't here for it, but I mentioned that specifically. Remember, assassins, assassins believe in, not, not necessarily believe in ultimate chaos, but wants everyone to have free will, but understands that free will means chaos, means chaos will ensue, and chaos will happen. That's just what it is if everybody has freedom. The Templars don't really want, it's not that they don't want anyone to have freedom, it's the fact they don't want there to be chaos. And the only opposite for chaos is order. But the only way to maintain order is to take away freedom. It's the only way to have absolute order. There cannot be any freedom whatsoever. And that's where the situation comes in. The assassins are the they literally portray themselves as the absolute chaos without really wanting that, but that's just kind of how it portrays. Versus the Templars, they do want absolute order, and it's not that they don't want people to be happy, though, but they are that opposite, so they're, they're polar opposite spectrums. So yes, it is a God complex. <clears throat> that's that's okay. really what it is. To have absolute order is to have a God complex, bro. Yeah. I feel that. Like, on one hand, you know, me um, running the zone is like, I want people to do, like, don't feel like they're being subjugated, but at the same time, it's like, okay, uh, there's a certain way we got to do this, and yeah, like, not trying to force you into it, because it's like, completely voluntary if you want to do it, but there's just certain ways that we have to do things in order to get shit done. So, I can kind of understand that, and Honestly, I can kind of understand why the world is the way it is to where we subjugate in order to establish order, but we breed chaos and it's um, as a byproduct of uh, liberation and freedom. So it's like, once again, the shades of gray where it's like you uh, want one thing, but it's going to cost something else. 
But I uh, want to mention that you said liberation and freedom, aka liberation and freedom cry. Just saying. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> I'm just saying. But uh, let's go on with the story. I'm. Uh, we got. Oh man, I got about uh, a few minutes left, but I'm gonna try to blaze through it. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Okay, money anywhere. Okay, we got that. All right, so Edward inadvertently becomes involved when he kills a rogue assassin, Duncan Walpole. Seeing an opportunity to profit, Edward takes Walpole's place at the meeting of Templars in Havana, meets with Woods Roger, the Cuban um, governor and Templar grandmaster, Loriano Torres, excuse me, the name kind of threw me off. His recklessness endangers the assassin's brotherhood, prompting him to pursue the sage and the conspirators from the uh, Yucatan Peninsula and Jamaica, eventually catching Roberts on the island of Principal off of the West African coast. Meanwhile, a band of notorious pirates, including Blackbeard, Benjamin Hornigold, uh, Mary Reed, under the alias James Kidd, and you know, Captain Kidd, and Charles Vane, who dream of a pirate utopia where man is free to live beyond the reach of rulers. With Edward's help, they seize control of Nassau and Established a pirate um, republic. However, poor governance, the lack of economy, and an outbreak of disease bring the republic close to a collapse when the with the founders divided. Now, Edward attempts to resolve the dispute, but it's too late to stop the Templars from exploring the situation, resulting in Blackbeard being killed by the British following his retirement. And then Hornigold joined the Templars, and Bane goes insane after Jack Rackham's mutiny. Now, eventually, Edward and Roberts, they uncover the location of the observatory and retrieve the artifact powering it. Roberts betray Edward and the British arrest him. Edward is in prison, but he escapes when Atabai, an assassin mentor, infiltrates the prison to rescue Mary Reed and Anne Bonnie. Mary soon dies in the aftermath of childbirth and a disheartened Edward decides to join the Brotherhood. Now, chasing down and eliminating Robert and the Templar conspirators, Edward retrieves the artifact and returns it to the observatory, sealing it away, and receives a letter informing him of the passing of his wife and the intimate, uh, imminent, excuse me, arrival of his hetero uh, unknown daughter, Jennifer Scott. Okay. So, Edward returns to England, promising Atabai that he will continue fighting the Templars. Then years later, Edward attends the Beggar's Opera at the Opera uh, Royal Opera House with his daughter Jennifer and his son. <sighs> Hate them. <laughs> so, in the present, John Standish, who is Observable Entertainment uh, Information Technology Manager, persuades the player to invest the and to investigate what their employees are trying to hide from them. Under John's guidance, the player hacked several animus terminals, delivered the information to Sean Hastings and Rebecca Crane, you remember from the SEO trilogy in Assassin's Creed 3, and undercover assassins who have infiltrated Abstergo. When the facility is locked down after the hacks are discovered, John instructs the player to access the Animus core. I'm pretty sure this shit happened during the uh, events of Rogue, but who knows? At which point, Juno, 
once again shows up, materializes into an incorporeal form, reveals that the world is not ready for her yet. <laughs> of course, of course, this bitch will say that. And that she is unable to possess the player as her agents intended. John is revealed as the reincarnated sage and attempts to murder the player to cover up Juno's failed resurrection, but is killed by Abstergo's security, implicating him as responsible for the hacks. So during his time as Roberts, the sage admits to Edward that he owes no allegiance to the assassins or the Templars and instead uses whoever represents his best chance to achieving his ends. With the sage dead, the player is contacted by the assassins but neither side is able to explain the sage's presence or identity uh, or identify his followers, the instruments of the first will. That's pretty much Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Uh, I know we don't have that much time, but starting with Kokugasu, what you got? Uh, so I mentioned Assassin's Creed 4 is my favorite specifically for this. It is by far the best pirate simulator video game that you will probably ever play. <clears throat> like, straight up. This is the most amazing, visually astounding pirate game out there. And I'm going to put it this way. I love the Pirates of the Caribbean version of Kingdom Hearts, that world in Kingdom Hearts. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that was there specifically because of Assassin's Creed 4. <laughs> Literally, the ship battles. The fu- There's secret bosses in Assassin's Creed 4. Yeah. I don't even know if everyone even knew that or not, but there is. I came across one and annihilated the fuck out of me. But <laughs> it's one of those cases, even if you max out your ship, these other ships are still more powerful than your ship. You have to, you, you can't outpower them. You have to outmaneuver them. You have mm. to really know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> the yes, ship sir. battles, the building of your crew members by saving them from execution, the being hey, can able I, to. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, can I interject <laughs> and say that what I liked about the combat with Edward? Is how not only did it feel uh, a little more brutal, kind of like uh, Ivor from uh, Valhalla, but it's almost like with Edward, it's like yeah, like his um, his kills can be kind of brutal. But I will never forget how sometimes you could be like running, and then while like in a, like unwittingly, you can like uh, walk on the walls a little bit. You know what I'm trying to say? Like uh, where essentially you kind of like. Uh, you walk up the wall and you kind of like try to position yourself around the target and try to kill mm-hmm. him. I thought that was kind of cool because it's almost like, okay, now. But yeah, that's all I have to say. I mean, that's, that, that was really good because that's a concept that was very famous for Assassin's Creed. Well, not even Assassin's Creed, for Prince of Persia. Because remember, that dates back to Assassin's Creed 1. Supposedly being like a continuation of Prince of Persia or Sands of Time before they just completely scrapped that idea and made the Assassin's Creed game. So it's one of those cases of the gameplay 
was amazing. You can literally go from ship to you can literally go on your ship out to sea with like in less than a heartbeat and then right back onto mainland like so quickly. Like you come right back, you the crew members, the the idle play. It was one of the few games where I didn't mind just idling around. Like just yeah. sailing the seas, listening to your crew because the more crew members you have, like the more voices, they actually had so many different voices in the game that you didn't realize that now like if you don't realize those attention to details into that, the more crew members you have, the more voices. And like you're listening to the sea to the sea shanties, you're listening to the it felt amazing. It was one of the few games where I will actually say I forgot that I was sitting on a couch holding a video game controller playing this game. And I sat down on the couch. When I say I was immersed into the game, I might as well have had a fucking VR headset over my eyes. I didn't see shit else. <laughs> I was in the living room. I didn't see nothing else at all. I had a dog. The dog knew I miss him, miss him. But he knew specifically if I popped up into the game, I popped open the game only after I made sure you fed and made sure you just went for a walk because daddy's going to be sitting here for a couple hours playing this game. He would either just sit in my lap or he'd sit right at my feet and he'd just chill because he knew I can't say nothing because daddy's not going to hear nothing the fuck that I say. He is in that fucking game. <laughs> like I felt like I was a pirate. I felt like I was doing this shit and I was like just going around doing all this stuff. The Eagle Vision was the first time they introduced, not Eagle, no, <clears throat> I think it was the first time they introduced like the color change with a lock on with your Eagle Vi- with your Eagle Vision where you're able to see through walls, but you could lock onto them and it gave them that golden aura. And like, even if they walked behind a building, you just instinctively knew that they were there and like you knew where they were going. It was the first time they incorporated that, that it wasn't bad because they definitely fucked that up later on. God almighty. But it was just the aspect, so many aspects into the game and made it the best fucking pirate game ever. As far as an Assassin's Creed game, the storyline was unimaginably short. And it's weird to say that considering how many hours of gameplay is in this game. Like I think it's over 60 hours of gameplay for this. And you don't realize that most of that is like side missions and <laughs> shit. Like, didn't I just say that in part one to where essentially you can just like blade through a Assassin's Creed game in like one day, but if you're playing the long yeah. game with the side quests and everything, that's where the real value comes from? Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's all the side missions onto it, but like it's so incredibly amazing as far like this was one game that for a long time I didn't beat. <laughs> For a very fucking long time, I never beat the game <laughs> because I was so immersed in just the side missions, leveling up my ship, just going around fighting these other pirates and shit. I was ready, just going around, just like, oh, hey, off the starboard, oh, yeah, enough because wait, <laughs> and yo, we're like, oh, the way hey. Edward talked though, the way Edward yes. talked, it's like he was like a legit. <laughs> charismatic a pirate to me. I was like, yo, it's almost like Jack Sparrow kind of vibes, but a little less clownish, you know? Like, no offense you know to Jack Sparrow, just... You know, you know what remind me of? Remember Sh- Samurai Shampoo? Oh! Oh! <laughs> yes. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Yes, I was like, oh, nobody could, okay, okay. Nobody could, nobody could beat him because his style of fighting was so wild. 
Because yep. then people didn't realize the fact that no, he knew other fighting styles. Like it's not that he couldn't, he knew other fighting styles. It was just that his fighting style that he chose to do was so wild and unpredictable that even masters of their craft struggled fighting him. You know what's funny? Uh you know what? I'm not, I'm just gonna save it for later. Just save it for later. But uh Tells? Tells. You got anything on Black Black? You've been quiet. I know you got some. <laughs> <sighs> it is with it. My guys, y'all y'all took up my time. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Y'all, y'all took up my time. <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm a legit just say this. This is that game. This was it. Like, it has so much. Like, for, I'm, for it to literally say they have little to no storyline for this one. It had so much to offer. It was the it was one of the first ones to literally have so much to offer. So, just on the closing, most definitely play this. Play this. One. <laughs> this one is it. Just play this one. Hey, tell um, tell you what, bro. Like I know we kind of went on with this, especially having like multiple titles in this. So. If we do part four, and if you're on for that, then we'll just uh, kind of get your opinion on Black Flag before we proceed with Unity and Syndicate and what else? I think that was it. No, no, no. Uh, oh, yeah. Chronicles 2. No, you're oh. you're good, man. You good. I mean, y'all literally just told... You told all the points, so wasn't nothing I can really cover on that. Ah. But, <laughs> you know, y'all, y'all good. Y'all, you gotta jump good. in, I mean, bro. You gotta jump in. <laughs> It's like, I mean, Black Flag, though, it was like, you, like, see, the funny thing is, a lot of people's first game, uh, unlike some folks, where they, maybe they started with Assassin's Creed 3, like, Black Flag was the game they got into first. So I was like, it's understandable how if you don't, if you don't have any appreciation for the previous game, at least play Black Flag first and then explore the other games. Mm-hmm. Most definitely true. <laughs> Matter of fact. One other thing I want to mention, aside from the fact that it's also rated as one of the best water, one of the best video games that has water mechanics still to this day, it also was one of those ones. Remember how people are going back and playing Sp- the Insomniac Spider-Man and Spider-Man Miles Morales and finding those little hidden details that was in the game that they didn't know about before? Uh-huh. How about they did the same shit again for Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag? <laughs> and crazily enough... <laughs> They found even more hidden gems and more secrets involving the animals and the creatures, involving how things have gone throughout the game. And then also Edward Kenway and how he traverses in water. They actually have three different levels of him traversing through water before he goes, like when he's walking from land to swimming. Like you can, can I- actually see him shuffle, sorry, then, high, then medium shuffle, then high shuffle. Hold on. Hold on. Can I pause and say? how Assassin's Creed has come a long way to where we went from an assassin who can't swim because it was 2007 and, you know, graphics and all that shit, to jumping like, what was it, like not even, like, five years ago? Five? 
a five-year gap, and now we have an assassin who can swim in such a detailed way that's like, wow. Like, Assassin's Creed kind of came from way. Like, okay, let me look. Okay, 2013, 2007. Six years? Yep. Six years. Okay. But then think about it. Like, that's, that's just how amazing it actually is. Yeah. Being able to have that growth. And then the underwater graphics are also amazing, too. Just swimming underwater. Hey, what you going to do? I'm going to go swim underwater. <laughs> I will say Black Flag is also um, the only Assassin's pregame that I that I pre-ordered. It was the only one. And I, I am not at all disappointed. I still have the book. I still have the pendant necklace. <laughs> And I still have the light because it they, it made it seem like it was a laser. It's not a laser. It's really just like a little mini flashlight thing. Yeah. But if you but if you stand like a couple feet from a wall and you shine the light, it puts the whole black flag symbol <laughs> right there on the wall for you. And so I still have all of it. I still go through the book every night. Every now and again, I'll flip through the book because I just love going through art books anyway. Even if I don't pre-order games, I always find them online. People sell them online. Like, if the game bombs, those books go cheap. <laughs> and I'm like, yes! I can get this book for cheap. <laughs> but it's the... Uh, very few... I think I've only pre-ordered four games, like, in my entire life. I don't pre-order. I am patient as hell. I will wait to play a game years later. Mortal Kombat 11, when it first came out, I refused to pre-order it. <laughs> Not because I did <laughs> Not because I knew it wasn't good or anything like that. No, it was great. It's still an amazing game. I still have it. I still play it. It's just the fact that I said no. <laughs> They're like, well, if you pre-order, you get Shao Kahn. I said, but if I'm patient enough about a year later, and I am that patient because I know most people ain't, but I am, a year later, maybe even two, Shao Kahn is going to become discounted. <laughs> You're going to put them on a DLC. And they tried it. First two DLCs, they didn't release them. Then third DLC, oh, we finally released the Shao Kahn. I knew it, motherfucker. <laughs> I knew y'all was going to do that shit. <laughs> I was ready and waiting. And I just I bought the game, the full DLC expansion pack, loaded pack on discount. Because <laughs> it went on sale for like 25 bucks. And that was the full game, all DLC content. I said, see, I'm not giving y'all 100, 150 $200 for this. No, I'm good, man. I'm going to be patient. $25. <laughs> Assassin's Creed Black Flag, I bought it. I All in. All in. Because I was like, I want to be a pirate. I was like, I want to be a pirate. I could be an assassin and a pirate. I want it. I want it. One of the, the first Facebook you. pages. <laughs> yeah. Like one of the first Facebook um, pages that I had ever made when I was first trying to, when I was first really trying to be public with my, with anime and things like that. I still have the page. I don't use it much. The banner for it is literally Pirates versus Ninjas, which is kind of the closest you would get to a, a really good assassin in a sense, because I love both. And it's, just, it's Pirates versus Ninjas. You've got a game where I'm an assassin and a pirate? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it did not disappoint <laughs> There's no loot boxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, I feel like Black Flag was like the last really great game for me uh, up until maybe like maybe Syndicate. Like I, I kind of like Syndicate, but you know, not as great as um, Black Flag or you know, like you would say it was almost blasphemy to say that I kind of like Black Flag a little bit more than the SEO trilogy, but that would be wrong too because honestly. The SEO trilogy had like the best narration of one character story than anyone else. Like the way they had like this whole arc with this one assassin over the course of three games, like that's gonna be hard to beat. But that's pretty much all I had to say on Black Flag, and pretty much that is the conclusion of part three of the Assassin's Creed Extreme Review. We will be coming back with part four, where we're gonna be talking about Unity. Syndicate and the Assassin's Creed Origins, you know, and China, India, and Russia. And with that said, check out Zealous of Nerd Entertainment on Facebook, Instagram. We have our website, Zealous of Nerd Entertainment.com. Uh, check out check the Arcade Zone. Oh, I was saying, check out the Fantasy Club Zone where I am the Prez. I am sharing all types of love. Legend of Zelda content, Harry Potter content. If you're a big fan of Final Fantasy games, Kingdom Hearts games, or do you just love mythology? Do you love dragons? Do you love centaurs? All of it. <laughs> Come join us here in the Fantasy Club Zone. Keeping it real. Indeed. Now, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to us to the end. And stay nerdy, my friends. Great things are coming. We are zoning out. And remember, nothing is true. Everything is permitted.